Amen. Amen. First Kings chapter 19. First Kings chapter 19. We are in the midst of a series on the life and times of Elijah the prophet. And last week we saw Elijah on the mountaintop, if you will, of an experience with God. On Mount Carmel, challenging and winning over the prophets of Baal. And now we go from, in just one week, in in one chapter in the Bible, from a great spiritual high to the depth of a spiritual low. Because as we shared last week, today was going to be a message on discouragement, on being defeated, on suffering from severe despair and depression. And and we learned that even a great servant of God like Elijah can suffer all these things because we know, if we're honest, that we have dealt and suffered with these things through our life. And one of the things that we learned from looking at last week's uh, message and what happened in 1 Kings 18 to what now is happening in 1 Kings 19 is that we need to be aware that after sometimes the greatest of spiritual experiences and victories, we are even more prone to being discouraged and defeated and depressed. And so we need to be aware of that. I want to deal with this chapter sort of in this way. I want us to see this chapter from Elijah's perspective. Because I want us to learn through Elijah, as the Bible says, a man just like we are, how he got to where he got to. And even though this is not an exhaustive message on discouragement and depression and all of that, no one passage of the Bible uh, is the end-all be-all on any subject. Yet this passage does really give us a lot of great information on this subject. So I want to see this passage from Elijah's perspective and how he got to where we, he got to that will hopefully be a help to us. But I also want to look at this chapter from God's perspective and to see the personal ministry of God to his servant, Elijah, because I think that will be an encouragement to us as well. And we will see how God dealt with Elijah and how God would deal with us in a very similar situation. So we're going to sort of look at it from two sides this morning. The first side, though, we're going to look at it from is from the side of Elijah. I want to begin reading in verse 1 of 1 Kings 19. Ahab, the king of Israel, went back and told his wife Jezebel all that Elijah had done, including a detailed account of how he killed all the prophets with the sword. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah with this warning. May the gods judge me severely if by this time tomorrow I do not take your life as you did theirs. Elijah was afraid. So he got up and fled for his life to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there. And while he went a day's journey into the desert, he went and sat under a shrub and asked the Lord to take his life. I've had enough. 
Now, O Lord, take my life. After all, I am no better than my ancestors. The first thing I want to point out, and I want to use this word. You're going to see some alliteration just because I think it helps us to remember what's going on here. I want to use the word experience. And, and there was something lacking here in Elijah's experience with his relationship with his God. Because here's a man who was very courageous. He was a man filled with faith and, and just confronted 850 false prophets and didn't seem to have a problem. Now, all of a sudden, we come to chapter 19 and we find out he's so afraid that he's running for his life from this queen Jezebel. What's happening here? Well, what's happening with Elijah is sometimes what happens with us and why we get to a point of defeat and despair and discouragement. Because our everyday experience isn't matching what we know up here and what our theology is. In other words, I would say it this way. There is nothing wrong with Elijah's theology. There's nothing wrong with his doctrine. He understands who God is. He knows who God is. He could quote you the Bible. He could quote the verses. He could do all that, just like many times we as Christians can do in our life. We got it all up here. But somewhere along the line, there becomes this disconnect every day over our experience with this God, you see. And so no matter how much we know, how, how correct our theology, how right our doctrine is, if we are not experiencing our God on an everyday basis, through His Word, through prayer, through worship, through the fellowship of people who believe like us, then it doesn't matter how correct and right our theology and doctrine is, we're still going to end up in a bad place because God never intended for our walk with Him to be a walk where we experience a high and then that high just carries us for weeks or months or years. No, Jesus taught us that man shall live by God's bread and that that bread is delivered by God to us daily. Give us this day our what? Daily bread. And God wants us to experience Him every day in worship, in His Word, in prayer, in fellowship. And when our experience doesn't match our theology, then it doesn't again matter how correct that is, how right we are, and how much we even know up here. What is really mattering is, what's my experience with God like every day? And his experience was lacking. That's why he got to the place where he was afraid. Because the Hebrew word to fear also means to stand in awe of. And so Elijah got to the point that even though he knew who God was, by experience, he was standing in awe of Jezebel more than he was standing in awe of God. And just a little bit before that, 
He was so standing in awe of God that 850 false prophets weren't intimidating him at all. But in his experience now, he's lacking. And because of that, now all of a sudden, the courage that he had just a few days earlier, he now is missing. And now this woman is intimidating him and putting him to flight. That's why then he even says at, uh, in verse 4, to God, when he asks God, he basically begs God to die. Then he says, God, I've had enough. In the Hebrew, the word enough means greater than or bigger than. In other words, Elijah's saying, this is bigger than me. This is greater than me. And he's right. But when we are standing in all of God, keeping our focus on God, then whatever he is asking us to do, whatever assignment he's given us, whatever life brings us, will not be greater than or bigger than we can handle because we're handling it with God. We're not trying to handle it on our own. See, really, God wants us to get to the point where we realize that all of life is bigger than greater than us. But even as Christians, we go, God... I got most of this and I'll check in with you and ask you for help whenever some big thing comes into my life that I get to the point where it's like, oh, I, I can't handle that. I can handle all this, God, but I can't handle that. And God wants us to get to the point where we realize, no, yeah, you need me in the big things, but you also need me in everything. And so, again, Elijah's perspective became skewed and distorted, which led to his defeat and discouragement and depression and despair because of his lacking in experience at this moment. It again just reminds us that our walk with God, no matter how great and strong it was in the past, has got to be kept fresh and kept in the moment. And that's one of the things we learn of how Elijah got to where he got to. Another thing we learn is expectations. That's another reason Elijah got to where he got to. I define expectations as planned disappointment. See, God wants his people to live with expectancy. Expectancy in the hope of what he has promised he will do and what he will bring. But God never wants his people to live with expectations because expectations are always going to disappoint us. Because it's never going to turn out the way we expect unless we're basing our expectancy on the promises of God and what he's promised us. We'll always be disappointed. And you can see in this passage another reason why Elijah was discouraged and depressed and defeated and in despair is because he really thought that once he did this thing on Mount Carmel and he got rid of all the prophets of Baal, that Ahab and Jezebel were just going to fall at his feet and go, oh, you're right. We're, we're going to go back and, and we're, we were wrong and, and Elijah, you were right. And now all of a sudden when Jezebel goes, I'm going to kill that guy. Elijah's like, well, this didn't turn out the way I expected it to turn out. 
In fact, notice also there's a clue here in what he says to God whenever asked after he asked God to take his life. In verse 4, he says, after all, I'm no better than my ancestors. In other words, all that I did, and it still didn't turn the nation around. And here's another reason dealing with expectations of why Elijah is in such a bad place. He's putting all the pressure of the results and the response of other people on himself. As if God was holding him personally responsible for how the whole nation of Israel responded to what Elijah did on Mount Carmel. And folks, God never put that kind of pressure on Elijah. God has never put that kind of pressure or responsibility on any of his people or any of his servants. We are never responsible for people's response. We are never responsible for the results. All we are responsible before God for is to do what God is asking us to do. You and I get into bad places whenever things and results and responses of others don't end up being what we think they should be because of what we have done or what, you know, we want them to be. And God is saying, I I didn't ask you to go down that road. All I asked you to do was listen to my voice and do what I'm leading you to do. Let the response and the results up to me. See, Elijah went, oh, I I didn't do any better than my ancestors. Because look, I did all this and look, the nation still hasn't totally turned back to you. And here Jezebel now wants to kill me. God, just take my life. He, he, he feels like what he did wasn't good enough. And God was like, that's not what this is about, Elijah. It's about you just being faithful to me. Don't put the responsibility of other people's response and the results of how things turn out on you. God never will hold us responsible for that. The greatest biblical example of this that I can think of is Noah. Throughout the Bible, God commends this guy Noah for building the ark and saving his family. God never went back to Noah and said, boy, Noah, you're a failure. You only got your family to go on the ark. You didn't get all these other people. Because that wasn't Noah's responsibility. Noah did what God told him to do. And Noah certainly said, folks, get ready. You better get on the ark because God's going to judge But God never held Noah responsible because nobody else climbed on the ark but his family. Noah is in the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews 11. Because we get so caught up in the response and the results that we somehow, like Elijah, begin to get discouraged and defeated because people aren't responding the way we think they should or we want them to. And that's never on us. Expectations. So his experience or lack of it has brought him to this place. His expectations, faulty, have got him to this place. There's another factor, and that is exhaustion. Just absolute physical and emotional exhaustion. Look at it with me, beginning in verse 5. He stretched out and fell asleep under the shrub. 
All of a sudden, an angelic messenger touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked, and right there by his head was a cake of bread baking on hot coals and a jug of water. We're going to come back to all this when we look at it from God's perspective. But notice, he ate and drank and then slept some more. Verse 9, the Lord's angelic messenger came back again, touched him and said, get up. And eat, for otherwise you won't be able to make the journey. So he got up and ate and drank. The meal gave him strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Oreb, the mountain of God. The point I want to make is you can begin to see just how physically and emotionally exhausted Elijah was. And how he had sort of just neglected the basic necessities of life of just eating properly and of getting proper rest. Folks. I've been in ministry for 29 years. I've dealt with a lot of folks over the years, formally and informally. And a lot of times, the reason why we end up in a bad place, just like Elijah, where discouragement begins to creep in, where despair begins to creep in, where we start to suffer from depression and all of that, It's simply because we are neglecting, like Elijah, the basics of life. We are running ourselves into the ground. We're not getting the proper rest that we should. We're not eating properly. And we don't realize that the Bible clearly teaches that when God created men, he created us body, soul, and spirit. And that all three of those work together. And that they all work in conjunction with each other. Therefore, if I'm suffering spiritually, I also suffer emotionally and physically. If I'm suffering physically, it's going to affect me emotionally and spiritually. They're all tied together. You cannot compartmentalize the way God created us. And so when you and I, even as spiritual as we think we are, because God, I'm out there and I'm doing all this for you, and yet I'm not getting my proper rest, and I'm not eating properly, that somehow that's not going to eventually negatively affect us emotionally and spiritually. It does. Let some of you hear what I'm about to say. And I mean really listen. The most spiritual thing some of you can do is to get some rest. Did you hear me? Because a lot of times we don't think that's spiritual. Somehow we've gotten into the mindset that I can keep up this pace. I can keep up my schedule. I can keep running at this level. And that somehow it's not going to affect me emotionally and spiritually. That's not what the Bible teaches. And some of you need to give yourself permission. To slow down and rest. Because you are in a bad place. And you are fighting discouragement and defeat and despair and all of that. Because you're emotionally and physically exhausted. You're not eating well. You're not taking care of yourself physically. And you're paying for it in other areas. This is Elijah. Elijah has run hard and it's catching up with him. 
And that's one of the other reasons why he gets to a place where he runs away from Jezebel. He sits by a tree and he says to God, God, I beg you, let me die. His lack of experience with God. His expectations and his exhaustion are all playing in to why Elijah has got to where he's got to. And there's another factor. It's what I'm going to call exclusion. Because Elijah, even though he has had people around him, he's basically pushed them away to the fringe and he's not allowed others to really support and help him in any way so that he has felt like he's had to do this all by himself. In fact, notice what he says. In verse 9, I'm going to pick it up. He went into a cave there, spent the night, and all of a sudden the Lord spoke to him. Why are you here? By the way, the word here doesn't mean why are you physically here. It's a Hebrew word that means to go down, and it speaks of the setting of the sun. In other words, God is asking Elijah a very important question, and he asks it several times throughout this passage when he converses with Elijah. Elijah, why are you in such a bad place is really what he's asking. Now, God obviously knows. Lack of experience, expectations, exhaustion, exclusion. I know. Do you know, Elijah? And God asks us those kind of questions when we're still enough because he wants us to discover, why have I gotten here to the setting of the sun? Why am I going down? Why am I in such a bad place? Because God wants us to begin to discover that. So hopefully we'll fix why we got to where we got and hopefully we'll make some changes in our life to where we won't get to the place that we are now again. We'll begin to learn from our experience, if you will. And so God isn't saying, why are you physically here? He's saying, Elijah, why are you here at this point in your life where you're so filled with discouragement and despair and you're so defeated and depressed? Notice Elijah's response. He answered, verse 10, I have been absolutely loyal to the Lord, the sovereign God. Even though the Israelites have abandoned the agreement they made with you, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And don't miss these next couple words. I alone am left. And now they want to take my life. Notice he says the same thing after God asks him the same question up in verse 13. At the very end, God says again, why are you here, Elijah? And he answered, same thing, verse 14. I've been absolutely loyal to the Lord, to sovereign God, even though the Israelites have abandoned the agreement they made with you, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left. Elijah felt like he was all alone. Was he? No. In fact, isn't it interesting that he even makes reference back up in verse 3 of his own servant. But like us, it's not that we don't have people around us that can help and support us, but sometimes we push them away in thinking somehow there's, there's a weakness if we rely on others that God brings into our life. So God, I'm going to handle this on my own. And then we wonder why things get pretty big 
and greater than what we can handle because we're out there isolated from everything or everyone else and we're trying to deal with life and what comes with life all by ourselves, and we're not relying and depending on really the people that God has brought around us. That is the very thing God says. In fact, he sort of mildly rebukes Elijah in verse 18 when he says, Elijah, I still have 7,000 followers in Israel who've not bowed their knees to Baal. You're not all alone. You've just felt like it was, you know, your job to be out there all alone. And so God's going to remedy that. Later on, he gives Elijah an assignment, says, I want you to anoint this guy, and I want you to anoint this guy. And oh, by the way, I want you to bring an assistant along. His name is Elisha. And you no longer are going to walk through this life dealing with all this stuff all alone. I'm going to put people around you, and you're going to use them, Elijah, because that's part of the reason why you've got to where you got to. You've excluded And pushed away others around you instead of relying and leaning and reaching out for their support and their help. Sometimes that's why we get to the bad place we do. Because something confronts us, something's in front of us, some challenge in our life or whatever. Or just life, the everyday grind of life begins to get to us. And we start to go down like the setting of the sun. And instead of reaching out to someone, especially a brother or sister in Christ, we still, you know, I'm going to, I just got to toughen up and I just got to deal with this all by myself. It sounds really spiritual, maybe. It sounds really strong and, and, you know, but it's not the way God designed it. It's not God's desire. That's why God created us all and brought us together into his body so that we would have one another to be able to help and support and lean on and all of that through all of life. So, Elijah, from, hit, from that perspective, how does he get to a place in his life where he's so defeated, so discouraged, so filled with despair, so depressed, that he literally goes out and basically begs God to kill him? He gets there for the same reasons that come into our life. We know all the right doctrine and can quote the scriptures and all that, But our everyday experience with God is lacking. We're not getting our daily bread. And we begin to go down. Second, our expectations. We live life with expectations, not expectancy. And because of that, we are over and over and over again disappointed and discouraged. Because life didn't turn out that way and they didn't respond the way they should have or I wanted them to. And we live on that edge and we continually go down. Third, we just exhaust ourselves. We somehow have convinced ourselves as modern day Christians that the spiritual thing to do is just run myself into the ground. Somehow that's spiritual. Not taking care of myself physically, not eating properly, not getting enough rest, and somehow I'm going to be able to keep my head above water and not go down. And finally, we exclude 
We live out there isolated and separated and we deal with life all on our own. And then we wonder why life becomes too great for us to carry. So with all of that said, let's look at this now from God's perspective. How does God minister to one in such a condition? Well, notice first of all, that the Lord even takes notice of Elijah in such a bad place. That's encouraging. Because it reminds us that our God isn't just there for us when we're on top of things. No, our God is there for us when we are in the tank. Our God is there for us when we've hit rock bottom. That's where God is too. He's not just on the mountaintops. He's in the deepest, darkest valleys. That's why the psalmist can say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. You're there. And God has been with us. Not only when we've been on top, but God has been with every one of us and will be with us even when we're at our lowest, when we've hit rock bottom. And that's where God is with Elijah. And when God does come to Elijah through his representative, notice something else. Notice the patience and compassion that God comes with. He doesn't come to Elijah and deride him and say, Elijah, you shouldn't be in this condition. Just snap out of it. That's the way sometimes we deal with each other when we're not in a good place. But notice, that's not what God does. In fact, God comes to Elijah, and the first thing he does is say, Elijah, we need to get you physically. You need to rest. Just take time to rest by that shrub tree. And oh, by the way, here's some bread. And notice the representative of God just feeds him and, and cares for him physically. That's the first thing God does. He doesn't quote him any scripture. He doesn't give him some vision or anything. He basically just says, get some rest and let's eat a little bit. Because I do have more for you to do, Elijah. Your life ain't over. And so we see God ministering to Elijah in this way. And God will do the same thing. God's not going to come into our life when we're in such a bad place and just expect things to turn around overnight. It takes time to get out of the place that Elijah's in. And God knows that. That's why this 40 days, 40 nights is a significant term in the Bible, but also significant here. Now, I will say this. God doesn't go the other extreme where he just lets Elijah stay in that condition for an extended period of time. Notice there is a point where God says, okay, you've had enough time to rest now. You've had enough time to get food and all of that. Come on, I got more for you to do. Because one of the most dangerous things that Christians can do is to just stay in that place where they don't engage back in ministry and they don't put themselves out there again because then we just sit in that bad place and we just keep spinning. And God doesn't want that either. God will be compassionate and he will be patient and he will let us have some time to get back on top of the things that we 
you know, can control like our rest and, and, and food and all that. But there's going to come a point because God doesn't want us to just sit there and begin to drown in our own thoughts where he's going to give us something to do. Because he understands that's going to be good for you too. Because you got to stop just sitting here dwelling on that and thinking about that, Elijah. You got to move on. So you see a perfect balanced approach that God gives here. So notice back in verse 8. When he got up and ate, the meal gave him strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the Mount of God. That's a significant mount. It's just another name for Mount Sinai. So significant. Remember, that's where Moses met God. That's where the Ten Commandments were given. This was a significant place in Israel's history. So he went into the cave there, spent the night, and all of a sudden the Lord spoke to him. Again, why are you here? And of course, we've already read what Elijah said. So I want to go down to verse 11. The Lord says, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Look, the Lord is ready to pass by. A very powerful wind went before the Lord, digging into the mountain and causing landslides. But the Lord was not in the windstorm. After the windstorm, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a soft whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he covered his face with his robe and went out and stood at the entrance to the cave. What's God doing here? He wants to speak into the life of Elijah. He knows Elijah after the lack of experience and the expectations and the exclusion and the exhaustion that Elijah needs a fresh encounter with God. And that's many times just what you and I need. We need that touch from God that he got whenever the angelic representative. It says back there that when the angelic representative first came to him, even before he prepared food for him, he touched him. God wants to touch your life today. But then he also, beyond touching your life, he wants to speak into your life. But he will do so in a very gentle voice. He will not scream. He will not yell. And what God was teaching Elijah and teaching us is, Elijah, don't always think that I'm in the spectacular and the dramatic and the flashy because you'll miss me. And don't be so busy and don't allow so much noise in your life that you don't quiet yourself before me to even be able to hear my voice speaking to you. And that's many times the case. See, many times the case is God is speaking to us always, but we can't hear him because we got the volume too much up on the rest of our life. And we're thinking, oh, when God wants to speak to me, he's going to speak to me in some big dramatic way. You know, he's going to bring some big thing into my life. And that's when I'll know it's God. And God is simply talking to us in a very gentle, soft way. But we're not hearing it because we're drowning him out with all the other stuff in our life. And that's why God asks his people, will you just quiet yourself before me? 
Will you just come before me and be quiet and be still so that you can hear my voice and get rid of all the other noise? And don't always expect me to speak to you or move in your life with all the big displays. Because most of the time, when I come into your life and I want to speak into it and I want to move in your life, it's not going to be in the big windstorm, in the big earthquake, in the big fires of life. It's going to be in that gentle voice. Can you hear God today speaking? One other thing. Back to verse 11. It's very significant. That God's ministry here is to touch Elijah, to speak to him in a gentle, soft voice, but also to pass by. Notice verse 11. The Lord said, go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord. Look, the Lord is ready to pass by. And the words pass by in the Hebrew language mean to sweep over, to take over, to take from. In other words, God is saying this to Elijah. Elijah, I want to come into your life and minister to you. I want to touch you again because I don't want you to be in this place. I got stuff for you to do, Elijah. Your life's not over. I want to speak to you, Elijah. But here's the most important thing, Elijah. I want to take from you what you've been carrying around that I never intended for you to carry that's beginning to break you and crack you and drag you down. Give that to me. I want to pass by and take that from you. And folks, that may be what's necessary in your life today. That as you in just a few minutes get ready to go back to that table and take up the elements of the bread and cup that symbolize His body and His blood, there may be something that you need to give back or give over to God and say, God, I need you to take this. Because I've taken whatever this is on me and it is wearing me out and it is wearing me down and it is a weight that God never intended for you to carry. And God is saying to us, I want to pass by. I want to sweep over your life. I want to take back or take over whatever you've been carrying that's gotten you to this bad place and give it to me. Because don't forget what the prophet Isaiah said about the coming of the Lord. He said he carried our pain in Isaiah 53. That he endured our punishment so that we could be made whole. That he was wounded so we could be healed. And God wants to bring healing from depression and discouragement and despair and being defeated in your life. God is going to say the reason you're probably there is because you're carrying around something that I never meant for you to carry. Remember, Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So why do so many Christians feel so weighed down? Are we taking on more than what God is asking us to? Have we taken on something and not left it go and said, God, I can't deal with this. I give it to you. Have we done that in the past? And then somewhere along the line, we gave it to God. But then we went back to God and we got it back from God and we put it back on our back. And now it's starting to wear on us again. Then God would say to us, as he said to Elijah, 
my people, my child, my sons and daughters. I am ready to pass by. As I pass by today, will you allow me to take what you've been carrying that you should not be? Maybe that's the reason we end up in the place we do. And God wants to minister to you today. He wants to touch you. He wants to speak to you in that gentle voice. And he wants to take from you and me what we've been carrying around that God never intended for us to carry. Will you let him do that today? In just a moment, we're going to be dismissed and go back and get those elements. As you pick up the elements of the bread and cup today, is there something as you're picking up those elements that you need to lay down today with God and say, God, take this. Take this. I can carry it no longer. When Jesus came to die, he came not just to carry our guilt and sin and all of that. He came to carry it all. Give it all to him. Don't just give him your sin and your guilt and all of that. Give him it all. Lay it down today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for being such an amazing God. A God who cares about us as individuals. A God who doesn't leave us or forsake us if we're not on top of things. A God who is there when we're at rock bottom. When we're at our worst, at our lowest. When we're like Elijah and we're just begging you to kill us, God. You're there. And you want to come into our life and minister to us. Oh, you'll ask us some pointed questions. You want us to realize, how have we gotten here? What brought me to this point? Because I used to not be like this. It wasn't always this way. How did I get here? And then God will come very patiently and very compassionately. And He will touch us. He will speak to us. And he will pass by and offer to carry what we've been carrying that literally is crushing our lives and sucking the very life out of us. God is saying to us today, give it over to me. Release it. Let me have it. Let go of it. And place it in my hands once and for all. Let me sweep by and pass over your life today. So God, as your people get up and get these elements, may we also not only take these elements up, but may we lay something down. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.